Welcome to Group Work. I'm your host, Katie K. May, and I interview mental health therapists to find out what happens in the space where group therapy takes place. Take a deep breath and find your seat inside the circle. This episode of Group Work is about to get started. Today on Group Work, I'm so excited to welcome Ryan Wexablatt, who is a licensed clinical social worker and school social worker. Ryan is the facilitator of the ADHD Facebook group and YouTube channel, and he specializes in working with males ages 5 through 22 who present with ADHD, anxiety with ADHD, and learning differences. He is the one professional in the United States who specializes in teaching social cognitive skills to boys from a male perspective. Ryan is the director of the ADHD coaching and summer trip program in Margate, New Jersey. He's from Philadelphia, my local town, and he has presented at the International Conference on ADHD, the Social Thinking Global Providers Conference, as well as many other regional conferences on topics pertaining to social skills. To learn more about Ryan, visit ADHDDude.com. So excited to welcome Ryan Wexelblatt to Group Work today. Ryan, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. Yes. So Ryan, tell us a little bit about, I've given the formal introduction, but tell us who you are. What are the groups that you're running? What are all the awesome things that you're doing? Yeah. So before I jump into that, you know, I just wanted to mention something I was thinking about was it was probably exactly three years ago today where I was driving, you know, from the Philadelphia area down here to the Jersey Shore where I live now. And I heard you on a podcast and and I said, you know, how did I not know about this? This is 20 minutes away from me. And this is so innovative and so amazing. And to think that like, oh, three years later, this is crazy because now you're interviewing me on your podcast. So what a yeah. full circle moment. <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's, it's really surreal. Yeah. So thank you for having me. So I'm Ryan Wexelblad, otherwise known as ADHD dude. I'm a licensed clinical social worker, a school social worker, and I specialize in uh, ADHD and in particular in uh, social skills for boys. So I mostly do most of my uh, work online now, and I have, uh, you know, I do some individual work. And then uh, my groups, I have uh, a bunch of different ones, but the main one is called uh, How to Hang Out, and it's a group for boys with ADHD. I love this, and we're going to dig into those details of what that looks like and the kinds of things that you do in this group. And before we do, I'd love to learn a little bit about teenage Ryan. So my thing is, I feel like you can learn a lot about someone by who they were in high school. So what's a fun fact, something you're willing to share with our audience about high school Ryan? Yeah, well, that's a hard one. You know, it's it's funny because I was not uh, I was not exactly you know very enthusiastic about high school. I didn't participate in activities and those things, but I was pretty social. And and I think actually my high school experience is a lot of why I'm tied into the work I do now because you know I have a lot of good memories from high school that involve hanging out with my group of friends, primarily my group of guy friends. And, you know, when I started getting into this work, specifically the social skills work, I kind of learned that, you know, there's a lot of kids who are not hanging out anymore for a variety of reasons, particularly the ones I work with. 
Yeah. So I think that would be, you know, uh, kind of the connection here. I guess a little, you know, fun fact is my senior year yearbook picture is in a movie and I did not see it until like six years after the movie came out because I completely forgot about it. Stop. Are you able to share what movie it is? Can we go fact yeah. check this? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's called uh, Storytelling. And actually, uh, Paul Giamatti is has a yearbook open and he's looking at a, a fake page that has my yearbook picture in it. My name is in it. Um, they just changed the first letter of my last name. <laughs> How did you have to submit for that to be a thing or did somebody find it? And they were like, this is the perfect picture for a movie yearbook. <laughs> no, my I had a my, one of my uh, friends from high school actually uh, worked on the movie. He was a production assistant and he sent a thing around to some of us saying, like, I need you guys to sign this waiver so I can use our high school yearbook in the movie. And I did. I signed it and then just forgot about it. And yeah, like six years later, I'm watching it. I'm like, wait a minute. That's my yearbook picture in a movie. Oh, my gosh. That's so fun. Totally going to find that. Okay, so (laughs) tell us about how to hang out. Give us the, the rundown of what the structure looks like. You know, paint the picture for us. Yeah. So can I give a little like a little context for why I came up with the group as well? Absolutely. Okay, so I got into the uh, social skills field, really called the social learning field because of uh, my son who struggled socially. And when I was looking around for programs in our area for him, I just didn't really find anything that resonated with me. And then through some research, I I found this uh, program based out of California called or methodology, I should say, based out of California called social thinking. And when I and it was the first time in my life I came across something, I said, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And it was just kind of like that organic. So as I kind of got more into the field, you know, one of the things I came to realize was that the social skills field, first of all, my what I want people to understand is, you know, my joke I say is to run a social skills group, the requirement is you have a pulse. There there are no requirements to run social skills groups, you know. So one of the things though I, I realized was that the population who receives help for social skills is probably like 90% boys and the individuals who are teaching social skills group are probably 98% women, which is not a problem. But what I was finding was a lot of what I saw kids learning were not organic to the way kind of boys interact with each other, their social communication. And what I was finding is that there was a lot of kids were learning kind of overly formal etiquette and the scripted communication and not really learning how to think in a social context. So I thought to myself, okay, well, how do I do this in a way that's going to be fun? Number one, it's going to be active, but really does this from a male perspective, because there's nothing in the world that exists that teaches social skills from a male perspective. So I said, I kind of have to take the reins with this. So I came up with the name How to Hang Out because I first started doing the group for a uh, middle schoolers, you know, in middle school, right, we're not going to call it a play group, we're calling it, you know, to hang out. So really how the group works is I do some teaching, you know, of these different social learning concepts. And I just want to clarify real quick, there's a difference between, you know, what I would call social cognitive skills, the ability to think in a social context and social skills. So really what I'm teaching, you know, when I'm, I'm teaching concepts around perspective taking, so understanding others' thoughts and feelings, how you come across to others, you know, how you show interest in others these kind of things. So the way the group works is we, uh, you know, we come and we'll either do like, you know, like some cooking and we'll make something or if the weather's nice, we'll go outside, um, you know, walk to a local pizza place. So the idea is that the instruction is combined with a real life social context that feels natural and that I'm not facilitating and I'm trying to stay out of as much as possible. I love this 
so much for so many reasons. And I want to highlight some of them right now. So number yeah. one, the idea of embodying the person that these kids and group can look up to, like it is someone that they can actually picture and see themselves. Okay. Ryan is, you know, a cool guy who can make conversation. He's connected socially. So I can picture myself doing that sort of thing. And also the experiential piece of, I like, you know, I'm a DBT skills group leader and a DBT therapist. And, and one of the things I feel strongly about is like, you can't just teach from a book and run a group, right? Like running a group is not the same thing as teaching a, a curriculum from a book. And that's what you're saying is like anyone with a pulse runs a social skills group. They're picking up a curriculum and, and they're injecting it into a group. And that doesn't necessarily always work well. Yeah. So you came up with this group, you you mentioned, you know, your own son needing something, a resource that you couldn't find. And I'll also add in, I often find that there's this difficulty in, in finding social skills groups for kids, teens that are not on the autism spectrum, that they're, yes. they're usually very focused on um, kids on the spectrum. And that isn't necessarily what every kid needs. Right. So I want to explain, you know, the the social skills field really came out of the speech language pathology field, which is actually where I've done most of my my training. And and to your point, yeah, it, it really social skills groups came out of the need to help kids with autism, you know, or autism spectrum profiles develop, you know, pragmatic language skills and improve socially. So what's happened is there's always kind of been this one size fits all approach of, you know, well, it'll be mostly kids with autism, you know, in this group, but we'll just take kids with with ADHD. And you know, what I find is, and this is not politically correct to say, but I'm, you know, want to be honest with people is that, you know, parents would tell me a lot is when their kids would go to these groups, they feel out of place because they're at a different level of social competency and have different social learning needs. And they're with these kids, you know, who they might not necessarily have much in common with in terms of interests, you know, and, and so on, which is why I personally, you know, do just groups for kids with ADHD. I don't do this kind of big mix of different neurological profiles. Can, yeah. can you describe what makes a great group member for your how to hang out group? in terms of ADHD profile or presentation? Yeah, I think the number one thing I would I would say, you know, for all my programs is they have to want to be there. I don't, you know, I don't want to have kids who, who don't want to be there because that's going to bring just like some negativity to the group. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky because the population I work with tends to be pretty social, socially motivated. They tend to want social connection. So I'm really okay with kind of the, the, you know, range of ADHD profiles from more of the inattentive type to more, you know, kind of the hyper impulsive all over the place type. Because one of the things I, I find is when, you know, you put kids together, okay, who have these similar profiles and we don't pathologize them and fig, say, fig, you know, focus on what they're doing wrong. What happens is there becomes this kind of automatic understanding of each other, right? Kind of like our brains work the same, right? And, and I think for that, that's why this works, regardless of kind of if they're more just, you know, the more inattentive type or more impulsive type, because they realize they all have some commonality together. And I think there's connection just in that. I think that's such an important thing to provide for these kids, especially I think about ADHD kids who throughout their lives have been told you need to behave, you're doing something wrong. This is not the right way to do something. And, you know, when I see teens in my practice, they're 
their level of self-esteem when that's been their experience their entire lives is very low. So putting these kids together to normalize their experience, to help them understand, oh, I'm not weird, bad, wrong, different. You know, my brain works differently, but I'm not alone in this experience. I'd imagine is so powerful for them. Yeah. And I, and I think to your point, you know, my thing is that I just want to depathologize ADHD for them at the end of the day. You know, I want them to be able to, you know, connect with other kids their age and, and not feel like, okay, I have this thing, you know, I have this disorder because I don't look at ADHD as a mental health issue. I look at it as a learning issue. And that has been a huge clarifier for me and for my whole team at my practice is the way we look at ADHD changes the way we've been able to treat and or refer out for treating ADHD. Right. Give us a snapshot into your group, maybe like a favorite group moment, a story as it relates to your group. Tell us a little bit more. Yeah. So the one thing I I forgot to mention is when I do groups, I don't do them for an hour. I really do them for um, two hours or two and a half hours. So the idea being that, you know, I do the teaching piece for a half an hour and then we're, you know, doing activities or we're out for, for the rest of the time, you know, like for that two hour period, basically. I think, you know, for myself, really what, what I try to do is hang back as much as possible and just insert myself when necessary. So I think my favorite part of group is when I see, you know, kids just kind of connecting and it's happening, you know, naturally. And, and I, you know, really what's rewarding for me is that for a lot of these, you know, the guys who I work with, you know, they have this kind of social history with kids at their school where they've been considered annoying or they've been considered like the space cadet and they've been kind of typecast in school. So when they come and they're like, okay, now I can kind of be myself, right? And I'm not having other kids kind of judge me for what I did t- two years ago. I-, I think there's, you know, something really, should I use the word therapeutic in that in itself? And that's really what, what I like seeing is just those connections being formed. I love that so much. It gives them a fresh start and a new opportunity to really like themselves better and connect better. I call it a social reset is my term. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. I'm curious about what happens if let's say you're hanging back, you're, you're letting them hang out, you know, they're doing their thing. What happens if somebody, you know, goes off course or do you jump in and redirect and what does that look like? Yeah. So one of the things that's a, that's a great question. One of the things that's important to me is I, I you know, kind of give kids this context of understanding that if I'm going to jump in here, you know, it is never because you're doing anything wrong. It's because there's a learning opportunity in here for everybody. Because, you know, kids, I, I say kids with ADHD, their feelings are amplified, right? They feel things stronger. So what I want them to understand is, yeah, if, if I'm kind of bringing something up, this is a lesson for everybody. Because, you know, if you say something that can give the term I use is, you you know, I say, if you say something that can give other kids cringy thoughts, you know, we have to address that because everybody else here can do the same thing as well. Right. So, so that's, yeah, that's kind of my, my thing is that we just kind of normalize having to kind of intervene. Right. And yeah. And, and work on things in the moment, because that's also how kids with ADHD learn best. They learn best by learning in the moment. So it's less of an authoritarian approach of you did something wrong and, you know, here's the right way to do it. And more of let's look at this together as a learning experience so that we can all strengthen our skills. Absolutely. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And there's never right. Any kind of, you know, right. There's never um, this is never punitive. This is, you know, I don't I never say like that's inappropriate. OK, I can't stand that. Right. I w- always want to put in the context of what will your same age or similar age peers. Right. How will they perceive this? 
Love that. Inappropriate falls into the same category for me as like, that's disrespectful. These nebulous, yes. judgmental, laden yes. terms. Yes. Yes, totally. <laughs> I follow you on social media and I saw recently that you shared, it was either a letter or an email that somebody, a kid had sent to you years later, just with telling you how impactful you had been on, on his life. And I'm I'd love for you to share a little bit about the outcomes that you've seen. Like what are the benefits and outcomes that your your clients or group members have seen in working with you? Like what's on the other side for them once they've been with you? Yeah, I think, you know, one of the big things is that, you know, I, I use a lot of my own terminology. So let me just give an example, you know, so when I teach perspective taking, I use the term clutch thoughts, meaning, you know, when you're doing or saying things that help other people feel comfortable around you, neutral thoughts, meaning other people are aware of your presence, but you know, you're not really thinking about them and they're not really thinking about you. And, you know, most of life we go through with neutral thoughts about others. And then there's cringy thoughts, right? Which is when we say or do things that cause other people to feel uncomfortable. You know, so part of, you know, with with the outcome, I, I think really what what I like hearing the best is when parents reach out to me and they'll like kind of like the, their kids will say something to them, say, like, you know, you're giving me cringy thoughts or something like that, because I think, you know, even though they might not articulate it, I know that what I'm teaching resonates. And I think, you know, the other part, too, is, you know, in terms of being able to teach this in the moment, it has a real life practical application. So I think kind of the two outcomes that I really like are the fact that it helps kids feel more connected, but it's they're also learning in a way that's most effective for them to learn. Yeah. But here's, I guess, kind of the biggest thing, the outcome for me that is meaningful is that they don't mind coming, that they like coming because it's a time to hang out with other guys their age. Yeah. Right. It's meaningful to them and they look forward to it. Yeah. And it's connection. So, you know, right. So at the end of the day, my feeling is if I can teach you a little bit and you can have a practical application for it and you have a good time in the process, then that's the outcome I want. That's awesome. What challenges and or benefits have you found in being in the online space and running these groups? Yeah. So I'll tell you, people ask me all the time if I do online groups and I say no for two reasons. One, because I feel like kids have been online enough with virtual learning. I do not want them spending any more time on in screens. But here's the other thing too for, for me is that, you know, so much of my groups is about being in, you know, in an organic setting, right? Where we tend to, you know, in organic settings, group discussions tend to kind of, right, we tend to pair off or we kind of are in smaller groups. And and you can't do that online with what I do, right? So I just can't do online groups. I mean, I would love to, but it would never have the same effect. And I feel like I wouldn't be being myself if I tried to do this online. So so really, you know, I'm just focusing on in-person groups. Got it. Yeah. Got it. So, and that makes sense when we think about how they organically unfold in terms of the interactions and the social piece. It's literally hanging out together. So which exactly. is difficult when you're all on one screen in Zoom or something like that. It, it's difficult to authentically hang out without it feeling a little forced sometimes. It, it would feel forced and it would feel like I'm doing a class and I don't want it to feel like that. Right. I want it to feel like, OK, we're going to do this little bit of the learning stuff and then we're, we'll do something fun. Yeah. Ryan, how do parents fit into this group process for you? Or yeah. not fit in. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so it's it's interesting because I found that most parents kind of 
they want you know their kids to have this experience but they don't really tend to ask a lot of questions it's kind of like did he have a good time or not <laughs> but i you know i communicate with parents i say here's what we worked on here's the terminology i use you know here's how you can use this to generalize these these skills and that's and that's pretty much the you know the extent of it is just me really kind of communicating with with them um and and i do think at the end of the day what's most important for them is that their kids like coming because i i should mention a lot of the kids i work with have been to one or multiple social skills groups where they felt out of place or they were just kind of you know it, it was let's play candyland and right give each other a compliment and just it's not natural to the way kids interact with each other yeah right Right. And I love that you're keeping that in mind as you're running these groups. What would you say for you is the most fulfilling part of this work? Like what keeps you going? How does it align with your your vision for your business? Yeah, I think I, I, I mean, I could say out of the things I do, the, the group pieces is definitely the most fulfilling for me, which is why I want to kind of expand on on this, because I think it's something that's it's not replaceable. You can't replicate this, you know, this real, you know, human connection this this way. And and I also think kids learn best when in a group format, you know, they don't learn best from listening to an adult lecture them or sitting across from an adult in a therapist's office. They learn best together. And when they can, you know, kind of reinforce things for, for each other as, as well. So uh, you know, this is just my opinion, but that group is real, is, is more powerful than individual one-on-one work, I think is, is kind of what drives me to do this. I would agree with you. I mean, I think individual work has its place and I enjoy sure. that as well, but group is such a powerful experience and validation and normalizing and catalyzing change, even in terms of modeling and learning and strengthening skills that I think it's, it's critical for these kids. Yes. And, you know, the other point to that, I I think for, at least for me is that, you know, a lot of the kids I work with, you know, boys tend to not talk about this stuff right together and, and to be able to kind of give them a space to be like, it's okay if making friends is hard for you. Do you know what I mean? Like to, to have, to give them a space where they can kind of speak about this authentically, right. Without kind of fear of feeling judged and can be a little bit vulnerable. That's, that's the other huge part for, for me of this because it's it's normalizing right their experience and it's making it okay to talk about with other guys their age who have kind of experienced the same things yeah that's so important i love that and and i find they do it willingly which is the interesting part yeah which speaks to what you've created right that space that they feel like they can trust and be a little more vulnerable i i don't think they have that everywhere so that's nice that you can do that yeah thank you (laughs) If you, let's say a new counselor or counselor coming into the field and this area of of work is their passion, they want to start a social skills group for ADHD boys, what would you say are your top tips to summarize for them? Yeah, my number one top tip was get training, (laughs) you know, so, so you understand what you're doing and you're not just kind of teaching scripted social behaviors. So the methodology that, you know, I mentioned that was kind of my foundation is called social thinking. There are evidence-based social skills curriculums out there. To be honest, I'm not a fan of them. And I think the evidence that they are based on can be a little bit shaky as, as well. So I think that, you know, somebody just needs to kind of find a format that they're comfortable with. And, and I really want to encourage people to, you know, be creative with, with this as well. 
but be creative kind of, you know, keeping in mind that this, right, we want to make this as organic as possible and not, you know, follow some kind of scripted etiquette, right, or scripted social communication. So, like, I'll just give you an example real quick. So, in every social skills group, they, you know, I hear about, they teach kids to, you know, compliment others. Well, there is, you know, what we call a hidden rule, which is, you know, a social norm that's not really taught, but we're just intuitively supposed to know, you know, for boys, if you give another boy a compliment, like in front of other boys, you're breaking a hidden rule. You're not supposed to do that, you know, and you can actually, you know, cause another boy to like be embarrassed. Right. But that's what they learned in their social skills group kind of thing. So what I always tell people is, you know, that women can absolutely teach an all boys group, you know, but you just have to learn kind of the social communication piece between boys and how, you know, boys friendships develop and how it looks different than girls. And when people say to me, oh, there's no difference, you know, then I'm like, well, this isn't the work for you. If, if that's where you're coming at this from. So be, get, get training, be less scripted, be authentic. And what I love about your work, Ryan, is that you're, you're kind of like a disruptor. Like there's this whole field of, of social skills and you've, you've come into this and said like, that's not really the way it works for these boys. And here's what I found that works. And, and so I think it's important to know those hidden rules that I don't know that I would know without having followed your work. Yeah. Can I tell you, it's funny you said that because the first time um, I did a presentation on this was, and I called it teaching guys to communicate like guys. I did it at a, the social thinking, uh, the national conference, and and I was terrified because I knew the audience was going to be, you know, 95% female speech language pathologist. And, and I said, this is either going to go horrible, you know, and I'm going to get so much flack for this, or maybe it'll be okay. And, and, you know, for the most part, it was, they were really appreciative of it because they had never heard it from, from this angle before. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I know you've trained my team a little bit on these things and they'll reference you. They'll be like, well, I remember Ryan said this. Wow, and so, that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So you've made an impact on us locally in the Philadelphia area and nationally you're making an impact in, you know, the social media, YouTube channel, all of the other things that you're doing. Tell listeners where they can find you. You know, what are next steps if they want to learn more? Yeah. So, well, I'm going to have in terms of the group stuff. Um, so I just let me let me mention, you know, I live um, outside of Atlantic City, Jersey, New Jersey right now. But there are going to be upcoming groups in the Philadelphia area. Um, probably not still during the pandemic when things get back to normal. But I have an, an idea for an elementary school group I've always wanted to do called How to Do Recess. That really kind of, you know, one of the things I say is for the kids I work with, the hardest subject of school for them is recess. So that's why I want to do a group focused on reciprocal play skills, you know, and kind of doing it this, this recess format. Um, and then I also have like a uh, like a hygiene puberty education program from taught from a social learning perspective. I, I do called dude stuff. So that'll be coming back as, as well. And that might be online. I have to figure that piece out. But uh, ADHDdude.com is the uh, is the website. And I have a, a Facebook group as, as well. And a YouTube channel is where I create content for parents as well as, as kids. So and there's different playlists. And the videos I make for kids are in what's called the uh, Dude Talk playlist. Love this. So, so many awesome places to find Ryan. Please go check him out. ADHD, dude. Ryan, thank you for being here today. Thank you so much for having me. This was uh, really exciting to be able to, you know, be one of your guests. And again, knowing where, how I kind of found you and, and I have to tell everyone, you know, I, I really pretty much owe my career to, to Katie because of everything. No, it's true. <laughs> you know, I'm not, it's, it's true. I, I, I wouldn't be here right now and I wouldn't have this YouTube channel and everything if it wasn't for Katie's guided. So thank you. 
Oh my gosh, you're amazing. I'm in all of you. So everyone else will be impressed as well. Thank you again, Ryan. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Hey, Groupie, thanks for listening. For more resources on how you can market, fill, and run your group in private practice, check me out at becomeagroupguru.com.